This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'd like to welcome everyone to the worship of the Lord Christ this morning, especially if you are visiting with us today. You are our honored guest in the house of the Lord. And if everyone could take a moment to sign the Friendship Register, and if you're visiting, give us some additional information, such as your email address and telephone number. We'd love to share with you more about what's happening here at Brick Presbyterian Church. And, and to that end, everyone's welcome to join us for a coffee hour immediately following worship for some uh, coffee, for some uh, treats, and a chance to enjoy that fellowship with each other. We're getting ready to begin the journey of Lent, and it starts this Wednesday. This Wednesday, we'll have our Ash Wednesday services. There'll be one early in the morning, and there'll be one in the evening at 6 o'clock. And we hope all of you will join us, because the journey of Lent is a journey in which we take time to more deeply consider our relationship with God and God's call upon our lives. And so I invite everyone to come to the Ash Wednesday service, and then throughout Lent, we will, be, we will be having a Wednesday evening worship service that will be followed by a Bible study. The Bible study for that Lenten series is going to follow the sermon series that's beginning today, is discovering God's will for creating the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And those evening Bible studies will be led variously by myself and our seminary interns. We hope you'll avail yourselves of that. And before Lent begins, we will have our Shrove Tuesday. This Tuesday, our pancake supper. You, we hope you'll register and come to that and enjoy pancakes and more. Next Sunday, immediately following worship, we will be having a congregational meeting for the purpose of fulfilling unexpired terms, both for the session and for the deacons. So at that meeting, you'll hear a report from the ACNC. This week, we're back to featuring what we'll call regular bread in communion. So if you're not a fan of gluten, you, most of the bread will be regular. But if you do need gluten-free, the roamers, the ones who go around throughout the congregation, will, will have that gluten-free bread. If you come forward to receive it here, we will be having full extra gluten bread for those who want it here. And we have been so grateful that we, God has blessed us over this past month with the musical gifts of Melissa Brassard, who just played the prelude. She'll be paying, playing the postlude, but she'll be returning back to Oberlin. This is her final Sunday with us, and we hope after worship you'll take time to thank her for uh, blessing our community with her gifts. Let us now continue to prepare our hearts and minds for worship of Almighty God.
My friends, please rise as you are able in body and spirit and join me in our call to worship. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Let us worship the Lord. My friends, we are sinners one and all, but by God's grace, we are called God's children. So let us, in the confidence that we have in God's love, bring to God our sins. Please join your voices with mine in our prayer of confession. Lord, in this world of many voices, we fail to keep yours front and center. We bifurcate our faith from our daily living and too often we only turn to you when it is expedient or our needs dire. Teach us to see all that we face in life through the lens of your Son's life, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Beloved, let us be reminded that in Christ, God remembers our sins no more and our iniquities are forgiven. Truly, in Christ Jesus, we are forgiven. Praise God. Amen. During the passing of the peace, I invite all those in sixth and seventh grade to please make their way to their classrooms. Those in fifth grade and below should please make their way forward during the passing of the peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To this peace, we were called as members of one body. The peace of Christ be with you. Let us greet one another in the name of Christ. And as the congregation is being seated, if we have any more children to come forward, now would be the time. Now we've got some more coming, making their way. So I want to tell you about um, when I was little, I used to get an allowance. And does anybody here get an allowance? Yeah, kind of. Kinda. So, so what does kind of an allowance mean? You don't know. All right. So, yeah, do, do you? Oh, oh, you know what it is. Right. Okay. Do, do you get an allowance? Don't know. Well, so it was a little bit of money that my parents gave me each week, and I had a certain set of chores to do. And with those chores, and the other thing that the first thing my parents said that I had to buy with that money was a bank. Does anybody have like a little piggy bank or anything like that? Anybody got piggy bank? Yes, does it have some money in it? Yes, that, that's good. An empty piggy bank's not much fun. And you put money in there and you save it up. Now, has anybody bought something with their own money that they had to save up to get? Yes? Did you ever buy something with your own money? No. Anybody? 
Yes? Did you ever buy something with your own money? What did you get? A stuffed animal. And that was fun to do that, wasn't it? And saving up money and then using it to buy something special is, is always a treat. And that's a good thing to learn at whatever age we are. But Jesus challenged us to save a different kind of treasure. Sometimes we call money treasure. And Jesus said, store up treasure in heaven. Store up heavenly treasure. So those aren't coins of money. What might heavenly treasure be? What are some, yes. Love, yes, yes. Being helpful. What else is a heavenly treasure? What's that? What'd you say? Patience. That is a heavenly treasure, yes. That's right, because that's keeping um, you safe and keeping other people safe. And so heavenly treasures aren't money that we can buy stuffed animals with. But nevertheless, when we do these things like have patience or we're loving or we're generous, that fills up not our piggy banks, but it fills up our hearts with love and it fills up other people's hearts. So remember that it's fun to save money in a piggy bank so that you can buy things that you want, but don't ever forget to store up those heavenly treasures, those things of love and friendship and sharing that fills our heart with God. Let's say a prayer. Take five here, five there, put them together, and let's say a prayer. Repeat after me. We thank you, God, for saving money to help us buy fun things. But help us to store up treasure that's heavenly, that all may feel your love. Amen. All right, it's time you can go out the way and look at Mr. Connor and make your way to Sunday school. Ah, okay. All right, all right. That's good. Today we begin a new series, Jesus Answers the Headline News. 
When we pick up a newspaper, we see an endless array of challenges dealing with the economy, poverty, politics, the environment, violence, and more. As people of faith, we are called to address these issues from a biblical perspective, and especially with an understanding tied directly to the will of our Lord Jesus. Throughout the series, we will not be looking at a particular political solution. Rather, we will discover that Jesus sought to instill a set of values that would influence and shape not so much the institutions of a society, but the way in which the people in those institutions would relate to themselves and to one another. Today, we will examine Jesus' overall aim in shaping society to establish the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. As you listen to this familiar prayer from Jesus' lips, bend your ear to hear how it shapes the world that Jesus calls us to be a part of shaping. Let us pray. Dearest God, your will is that your follower, as your followers, we would seek to shape this world after your heavenly kingdom. May we have listening ears, compassionate hearts, and strong arms to build a world of welcome, opportunity, justice, peace, and love for all. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we begin these series of Jesus' answer to the headline news, I don't expect for you to agree with everything I say. And what I'm really hoping is that this will embark all of us on a journey in which we see how it is that God is calling us as individuals and a community to address 
these urgent problems in such a way that doesn't divide us or make people choose sides, but in such a way that unites all of us behind the common calling to enter into the places in the world that we know Jesus already is. And as we pick up the newspaper, we're often dismayed at the many challenges we find there. And as individuals, each of us has a vested interest in finding better solutions to these thorny problems. Now, as a congregation, we have taken the middle path in general throughout our history, not aligning ourselves with one particular party or another. And I would agree to that approach, for ultimate, our ultimate faithfulness is to God in Jesus Christ. And one of the things we know that oftentimes political parties try to do is try to pit people of faith against one another convincing like-minded people that the good Christians vote this way and the bad Christians vote this way, and you better figure out which is which. Now, it's true that as individuals, each of us might gravitate to a particular party's solutions more than another and feel like perhaps it aligns more with God's will. But the Brick Church has a diverse array of people and we have found centeredness. Centeredness in not being tossed about by the latest political fads of our respective parties. And yet, as a community of believers, we have a responsibility to engage these issues. And why might that be? Because Jesus was. And he's not only our guide, but our Lord. But Jesus had a very particular approach. Rather than try to reform institutions on a structural point of view, he sought to recreate individuals. That from the inside out, we would be changed. And so we note that in Jesus' time, he did not align himself with any particular movements of his time. The Sadducees, the priesthood, the Zionists, the Pharisees, the Essenes, or the rabbinical culture. Rather than following a particular solution, he sought to reshape relationships. And I think that he believed with the proper values instilled within each one of us, varied approaches could work. And we note that in the Gospels we see that Jesus assiduously avoided accruing political power. Two times he refuses to become king. One time when Satan tempted him in the wilderness, and another time after the feeding of the 5,000. After that miracle, the crowd can tell that he is powerful. So they want to make him king. And Jesus' reaction? Get away. He literally makes for the hills right after that. 
Now we know that Jesus was wise in his time. And it was because he sought to transform people's hearts. It was there that he thought existed the greatest leverage for establishing what he referred to as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. The land in which heavenly values are woven all throughout our world. And yet, just because he avoided accruing political power does not he mean he avoided controversial topics. His love drove him to confront a religious, religious authorities whose rules were making it hard on the hungry and the sick. At one point, he encounters a man with a withered hand. And the authorities, we are told, were waiting to trap him so that they could accuse him. This is what the gospel tells us. And then he said to them, it is, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to take it? But they were silent. And he looked around at them in anger, it tells us. And it grieved him to see their hardness of heart. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he was healed. And it tells us immediately they conspired to destroy Jesus. He taught us not to view the law as ultimate principle, but as a guideline. A guideline to teach each one of us how it is we can love God with everything that we've got, he tells us, and love our neighbor with equal fervency, just as we love ourselves. And he challenged people to serve everyone. So he tells us, if a Roman soldier asks you to go one mile, instead go two miles with them. These Roman soldiers were their enemies and oppressors. He drove into the religio-economic machinery when he turned over the tables at the temples. He angered and threatened people's livelihoods when he told people forgiveness does not come through cultic practices, but a contrite heart. And so he was anything but a tame spiritual leader. He inflamed people wherever he went, but he also gave special sympathy for those who found themselves on the margins whether it was because you were poor or sick or ostracized or simply hated for being a tax collector. And his goal was not so much to establish an earthly rule, but to establish, as we said, a set of principles as God would have us. And so he preached on a new kingdom, not Caesar's kingdom, ruled by a tyrant and a, best, a despot, nor a kingdom of the religious elite of his time, 
Rather than a new regime, he sought to elevate all humanity, deployed for this radical kingdom. And so poverty would be cured through radical communal sharing. Violence would be cured through turning the other cheek. Alienation through radical forgiveness. And so the early Christians were called people of the way. For it was the way they occupied the world that set them apart. And at the center of this way was to reshape the world and is found in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. This whole section of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus' prologamena for a world that looks like God's world. And if you want a quick read, look through those chapters. Listen to some of the kingdom-shaped values he espouses in this section. Store up treasures in heaven. Turn the other cheek. Forgive one another. Go the extra mile. Love your enemies. Judge not, lest you be judged, and do unto others. And as we look beyond the Sermon on the Mount, we find more principles. Clothe the naked, be generous, feed the hungry, and be servant of everyone. Servanthood is a fundamental principle of this way that Jesus taught. The kingdom is one in which all should seek to be servants of others, especially those with more power. And this was a radical departure from the philosophy of his time, in which it was presumed that people of the higher stations were there to be served by those of the so-called lower stations. But Jesus turned that upside down. The first of all will be last of all, and servant of all. And so the leveling of the social strata was fundamental to Jesus' movement. Kings, priests, and the wealthy were all to become servants. Jesus wanted all people, whatever their station or place in life, be it laborer, in the sacred realm, the government, landowners, everyone to follow these principles. And it is surprising, but true, that if we use our power and our gifts with love and with passion, the kingdom becomes visible right here and now. And we will find ourselves in the most wonderful of worlds. And in a way, it was Louis Armstrong who showed us how.
This is taken from a section of his biography from the History Channel. Louis Armstrong was born on August 4, 1901, into a poverty-ridden section of New Orleans nicknamed the Battlefield. His father abandoned the family when Armstrong was a child, and his teenage mother was often forced to resort to prostitution. Young Lewis spent much of his time with his grandmother, but he also found a second home among the Karnofskys, a local Lithuanian Jewish family who hired him to do odd jobs for their business. The Jasmine would later write that the Karnofskys treated him as though he were their own child, giving him food and loaning him money for his first instrument, a $5 cornet. As a sign of his gratitude to his Jewish benefactors, Armstrong later took to wearing a Star of David pendant around his neck. And we all know that he had this phenomenal musical talent. But there was something more than just that gift. It was reported that on a visit to the Congo during the time of an internal war that the two sides called a one-day truce upon his arrival so they could watch him play. Now Armstrong mostly stayed away from the politics of his time, which led to an occasional criticism from his fellow musicians. But he chose to speak at a critical time. It was during the crisis of the Little Rock Nine in Arkansas, and he spoke out against segregation and the president. Now, the comments immediately caused a sensation in the media, but they soon blow over, blew over when Eisenhower sent soldiers to desegregate the schools in Little Rock. Who knows? Perhaps it was his words that spurred the intervention. Louis Armstrong did not always have a wonderful life. And he did not always live in a wonderful world. But when I listen to him, and I listen to that song, I feel its truth, the truth of this wonderful world that God wants for everyone. Amen.
Jesus was there at the birth of creation. He was the word that God spoke and in which God love wove the divine love and community and grace into all of creation and God declared it a very good and wonderful world. But when Jesus came to earth, he knew that there were many things, sins and evil and brokenness that obscured the beauty of this wonderful world to times when we could hardly even believe it was still there. And so he gave his disciples, who would face some of the greatest trials, a gift, a sacred meal that would remind all people of God's power and grace to overcome all evil and to defeat even death itself. So I invite all of us to partake of this feast and know God's grace and love. you and also with you lift up your hearts we lift them up to the Lord let us give thanks to the Lord our God it is right to give God thanks and praise praise to you O God for all your works you created the world and you called it good and you made us in your image to live together in love you made a covenant with us and even when we turned from you, you remained faithful. Therefore, with all creation, we sing your praise. for sending us your son. He lived among us and told your story. He healed the sick and he welcomed sinners. He shared our pain and he died our death, then rose to new life that we might live and all creation be restored. Remembering your boundless love revealed to us in Jesus Christ, we break bread and share the cup, giving ourselves to you to live for him in joy and praise. 
Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that they may be for us the body and blood of Christ, and that we may be his body for the world. By your Spirit, unite us with Christ and with one another until we feast with him and with all your saints in your eternal realm of justice and peace. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, almighty God, now and forever. And now we join our voices together and we pray the prayer that Jesus first taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus was with his friends, the disciples, and he sat at dinner with them, and he took the bread and he shared it with them, uh, first by blessing it and breaking it. And then he gave it to them to eat, and he said, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In like manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant by my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Every time that you drink of this cup, you do so in remembrance of me. So that, friends, every time that we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim the saving death of our Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again and come again he shall. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks Amen. be to God.
Let us pray. Lord of mysteries and sacred moments, we have received your body and your blood in this holy feast. Help us now to drink in that grace and that love and that peace within each one of us, that as we are nourished by your Spirit's power, we might become ambassadors of your mysteries of holy light and love to the world. Amen. Indeed, God created this world and declared that it was very good. Indeed, a wonderful world that we have been blessed with. But even so, we know that there is much work for each one of us to do. So may we go forth in our lives and live those heavenly values here on earth that others might see your light and the give glory to God. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest upon each one of us from this moment on and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>